MSW Media. News was Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. Today, the resignations and firings begin in the lame duck administration. Bill Barr pens a memo citing election disinformation and erasing a 40-year-long Department of Justice policy. Former GOP political operative Michael Ellis is named NSA general counsel. Congressional Dems pen a letter to Emily Murphy at the GSA demanding answers regarding the holdup of transition resources for Biden. CNN investigates a list from right-wing media circles about deceased voters. And the Supreme Court hears ACA arguments today. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Ah, Dana, it is Veterans Day, November 11th, because of, you know, the 11th hour, 11th day, 11th month, and that's Mm -hmm. when we celebrate Veterans Day. So, happy Veterans Day to you. And thank you for everything you have done for this country, my dear. Ah, thank you very much. You as well. Now, uh, we have some crazy breaking news. All of this shit is crazy today. (laughs) (laughs) We were just looking at, uh, in Pennsylvania, in Erie, I believe, Erie County, there was some sort of uh, IG investigation uh, for, by the United States Postal Service into somebody who said there was voter fraud and from this whistleblower. And then I, I, I guess the whistleblower just recanted the whole thing. Do you, know, do you have any details about that? Well, I know uh, Lindsey Graham took this one on and decided to write a letter, I believe, to uh, the AG, basically like, look at this bullshit. And then what happened was that guy, uh, they did a GoFundMe, a GoFundMe for and raised $130,000. And then when he was asked by the authorities, like those people that could actually arrest him for perjuring himself, uh, he recanted his entire story about the voter fraud. And Lindsey Graham's fainting couch is really full right now, like really full. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's going to happen, in, and I truly believe this, all of this stuff to uncover, quote, uncover, quote unquote, uh, Democratic voter fraud, they're about to uncover a shit ton of Republican um, voter fraud. Like, that's what they're going to do. They're, they're just going to shoot themselves in the foot the entire time. Yeah, yeah, we've been saying, careful what you ask for, right? Yeah, absolutely. Also today in the show, I'm going to chat with your favorite member of Team Justice, Glenn Kirshner, and that's going to be regarding the latest efforts by Bill Barr to cast doubt on the election results. This slow-moving coup, uh, if that's what it is, or it, maybe it's a cover-up. I have some thoughts on that. And we're getting good news pouring in since the election was called. And Dana, you're going to help me share some of that at the end of the show. And... The Supreme Court began hearing arguments in the Affordable Care Act case where Trump, you know, is trying to gut Obamacare and kick millions off their insurance. It did not go well for Trump today. And we'll have Supreme Court expert and uh, University of Texas law professor Steve Vladek here. He's going to discuss that with us. Uh, But in the meantime, we have a lot of headlines to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, so the lead story today has to be the Bill Barr memo. It's from This is from Politico. Attorney General Bill Barr appeared Monday to make a bid to reassure backers of Trump, who have complained bitterly in recent days, I'm so sad, uh, that the Justice Department was not taking action to combat alleged voter fraud over election irregularities. So in a memo to U.S. attorneys, Barr authorized them to open election fraud investigations. Quote, if there are any clear and apparently credible allegations of irregularities that, if true, could impact the outcome of the federal election in an individual state. So in Barr's directive obtained by Politico and first reported by the Associated Press, Barr said he already approved such probes related to the 2020 election, which by saying that, that's against the rules at the DOJ. Two rules, in fact. And he did not elaborate on which specific instances uh, he was talking about or whether they remained open, because he's lying. Barr acknowledged that the new instruction uh, departed from the usual Justice Department practice of not launching full-scale investigations, such as fraud or overt investigative steps, until after election results are certified. But he's doing that in the memo itself. And so... It doesn't make any sense, but uh, I'm going to be talking to uh, Glenn Kirshner about this policy later in the show uh, and how just right after this memo was issued, the director of the DOJ Criminal Division's Election Crimes Branch, Richard Pilger, resigned in protest. And we'll talk about the email that he wrote to his colleagues. Um, it's, it's sad to see these incredible 
you know, career professionals resigning, but uh, he's resigned in protest. So yeah. that's what's happening with that. Uh, well, he's actually not the only one. So as it turns out, Pilger, he's not the only uh, casualty of this lame duck administration at this point. So we know that Trump fired the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, yesterday, and we talked a little bit about the ramifications of that. So now we're learning that the Pentagon's acting policy chief resigned on Tuesday after falling out of favor with the White House. Now, this is raising fears of post-election purge at the Defense Department. Um and, and which terrifying about this and everyone's like, well, why, you know, why now with 70 days left? He wants to cause as much damage to our national security at this point as he can, in my opinion, to make us incredibly vulnerable is what I see happening. He just wants to cause chaos. Um, the Department of James Anderson, the acting undersecretary for defense for policy, potentially paves the way for Anthony Tata, President Donald Trump's controversial nominee for top policy job, who was pulled from consideration due to what Islamophobic tweets to take over the policy shop. These people are awful. They're just awful. So former and current defense officials say that Anderson, who is first in what will likely be a wave of resignations following the ouster of Esper, which is really interesting because I think we all heard that Esper was writing his resignation letter. And this was what happens every time, AG, the news gets out and then Donald decides to fire them publicly on Twitter. So it looks like this Mm -hmm. was actually his choice. Um, and he gets to, you know, look like the strong man. It's ridiculous. So, um, you can't quit. You're fired. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I didn't break up with, you can't break up with me. I broke up with you. (laughs) And, um, so there's further rumblings that the FBI director, Chris Ray and CIA director, Gina Haspel, um, are next. And we'll keep you posted on that. Cause from what I understand, Gina actually went into Mitch McConnell's office today. So we don't know what came from that, but we will find out. Yeah, she was in there for like 20 minutes. It wasn't long. And then and then some folks asked her on the end, are you going to be fired? What's your job look like? And she's like, you have a good afternoon. So we don't know yet. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. We don't know yet. Yeah. Um, uh, the Pentagon, the Pentagon General Counsel has named White House official and former GOP po- uh, political operative Mike Ellis to be the top lawyer at the National Security Agency, the U.S. government's largest and most technically advanced spy agency. Uh, Ellis, who was chief counsel to who? Rep. David Nunes. Uh, a staunch supporter for President Trump and then chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, has been at the White House since early 2017 when he became a lawyer on the National Security Council and then this year was elevated to Senior Director for Intelligence. There's a lot. So finally, the White House has removed Michael Cooperberg, uh, who was the scientist responsible for the National Climate Assessment, the federal government's premier contribution to climate knowledge and the foundation for regulations to combat global warming. This is the latest sign that the Trump administration intends to use its remaining months in office to continue impeding climate science and policy. This is what Mary's been talking about. Even if it's, you know, theoretical, it's a snatch and grab. They're going to damage as much as they can, give away as much as they can, sell as much as they can uh, in the next two months. This is it's going to be a, a bit of a shit show for sure. Yeah. And people will remember Mike Ellis was the one during the impeachment trial. He was the lawyer on the National Security Council who decided to move the Zelensky call to that super secret code word protected server, the nice server. And uh, so that's that guy. Now he's 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 fucking head of the legal department at the NSA. That's terrifying. Uh, And I actually think there's something here, here's kind of what I think. I think this is like a cover-up situation. It's It does definitely create chaos, and, you know, he's tearing the curtains down on his way out of his apartment. But uh, this could be a, a way to destroy evidence. I mean, if you think oh, about right. what we're looking at here, we're looking at the, you know, the GSA won't let Biden be, you know, sign off on his transition. He can't get presidential daily briefs. He can't be briefed on national security stuff. Uh, they don't want him to know everything. And so they're putting that off. They're using this election uh, overthrow, you know, trying to overthrow the, the the will of the people election bullshit to delay the transition from beginning so that Trump can rip out everybody who is good and right from the Pentagon and the NSA and pretty soon the CIA and the FBI to get his people in there to start fucking shredding documents, you know? Yeah. So I, that's kind of the way I see this. It's more of a cover up than a coup. 
but we'll see. You know, we'll soon learn. Uh, I still don't want anyone to worry. Joe Biden is going to be sworn in on January 20th, 2021. But it, it's interesting that, uh, that you know, it's, it seems more than just chaos here. Yeah. But we'll see. AG, I've actually, I've, I've called the, the Megan person at the GSA. I'm now calling her Kim Davis because she's that person that, like, they've made a law. You have to give marriage licenses to your job. And she's like, I'm not doing it. Uh, so mm-hmm. basically, you don't have a choice. We need you to do your job, and I'm paying part of your salary, so get to it. Get to it, lady. Well, she's complicit in a violation of the Emoluments Clause, right. Domestic Emoluments Clause, because she worked with uh, with Trump to, to not allow the FBI to move their headquarters, their crumbling headquarters, because it's across the street from his Trump hotel in D.C., and he's afraid a developer was going to move in there with a hotel and compete with him. Ugh. So that was a whole big, huge scandal that just sort of slid under the radar because there's 80 scandals a day, right. but that's the same fucking lady. Ugh. And so now he's got her dead to rights. He's she's compromised, and she needs a pardon from him. And and if you start looking at all of these Republicans who are you know backing Trump's you know didn't lose the election play, and helping him with this, these are people who he who need pardons from him. Right. Bill Barr, Mitch McConnell, Ted Cruz, Lindsey Graham. Uh, Emily Murphy, these these people need pardons. And so they're, you know, he's like, not until I get what I need. And I think that's probably what's going on. That's all speculation. <laughs> Someone needs to make a video. I wish I was a good editor. I just want to make them, uh, you know how they, they keep redoing like Saturday Night Live skits with the faces of all of the, the horrible people. Yeah, bye-bye. I want them to, bye-bye. Yeah, bye-bye. bye-bye. And bye-bye. I want them to do um, them. Some, there's got to be a skit where people are coming up to Trump and they're just like, pardon me. No, pardon me. No, pardon me. No, pardon me. No, excuse me. <laughs> No, pardon me. <laughs> pardon me. Pardon me. Pardon me. Uh, mm, that's so good. Yeah. I, I wish I was a, better at that, too. I also wish I was a good cartoonist. I wish I could draw. There's so I many know. things. Yeah. Um, now, one of the supposed pieces of right-wing evidence of voter fraud was this list that circulated on Twitter Thursday evening. And it's been all around, like, 8Coon and 4chan, all the right-wing craziness, you know, bullshit. And this was Thursday evening, uh, allegedly containing names, birthdays, and zip, zip codes of registered voters in Michigan. The origin of the list and the identity of the person who first made it public are unknown. But CNN, they basically said that these are illegal votes. And CNN examined 50 of these names on the list by taking the first uh, 25 and then 25 more picked at random. And they said, quote, we ran the names through Michigan's voter information database to see if they requested a ballot or returned a ballot. We checked the names against publicly available records to see if they were indeed dead. Because <laughs> apparently this list was supposed to be of 14,000 dead people who voted. Okay. So they checked 50 at random. Of the 50, 37 were indeed dead and did not vote, <laughs> according to the voter information database. Five people out of the 50 had voted, and they are actually all still alive, according to public <laughs> records accessed by CNN. <laughs> The remaining eight are also alive, but did not vote. So <laughs> there's no dead person casting a vote. What in the hell? The sample is small. It's not representative. But the trend is clear that not a single one of the names examined was of a dead person voting. So that's... <laughs> well, the weird thing to me is that, like, and he's doing this in Arizona, their lawsuit, like Arizona's lawsuit is over 180 votes. That's not going to change the outcome of the state. Even Michigan, even if they take these 14,000 names and let's say they're all dead people who voted, which they're not, it's still not going to change the course of that state. It's weird to me that their lawsuit, let's say they threw out every vote that they're saying is actually fraud it still would not call the state for trump no no not even close yeah not even close actually I, they're just asinine they're asinine. but this is more along the lines of you know how the, the how trump didn't actually want ukraine to investigate right uh, you know he just said all you have to do is announce it and and you know they just create the the illusion just say you're going to and that that puts that gives that gives a black eye there yeah and uh you know they they're like no bro we're not even going to do that that's kind of like this like you don't even actually have to investigate voter fraud there isn't any you don't have to find right. any just the fact that it's being looked at is enough yeah that's true uh to to cast doubt in people's minds or to give trump supporters a reason to think that this there's something nefarious going on there's not yeah uh, speaking of nefarious, this is some real nefarious shit. It's what we were talking about a second ago uh, with Emily Murphy. So Congress members Bill uh, Pascrell, Jerry Connolly, and Gina Titus 
have written a letter to the director of the GSA, Emily Murphy, about her refusal to sign off on the Biden transition. Now, in that letter, they say the American people resoundly voted to remove Donald Trump from office by failing to ascertain Biden's and Kamala Harris's clear victory. You are undermining the urgent need for a prompt and effective transition of power in the midst of a global pandemic that must be focused on the safety and well-being of our citizens. They continue, we ask that you immediately provide us with a briefing on your plans to implement the Presidential Transition Act and provide the following information in writing by close of business Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. So by the end of today. So please, one, outline why you believe the clear 2020 presidential election outcome is not apparent and what actions you are taking to ascertain who the president-elect and vice president-elect are since (laughs) since you don't seem to believe that they're Joe and Kamala. It's like talking to a four-year-old. Yes. Like, can you tell us uh, why this isn't, quote, apparent and what actions you're taking to, quote, ascertain who the president is? Like, it's so funny. Uh, The next thing is, have Donald Trump, uh, adjutants of Mr. Trump or other White House officials directed you to block commencement of the presidential transition? Please detail any interactions you have had with the White House personnel on presidential transitions. It goes on to say, Donald Trump will be vacating the White House by January 20th, 2021. You are directly responsible for executing the Presidential Transitions Act as amended and ensuring a smooth, effective and peaceful transition of power during a very difficult time in our nation. We demand that you provide answers to our questions, immediately release congressionally appropriated funds for the incoming Biden administration and cease obstructing the transition to our 46th presidential administration. Now, I asked, and maybe you can answer this, A.G., and it could be just as easy as they're on recess. Why the hell hasn't the House called her uh, in front of them yet? Is it just because they're on recess? Like, I, why isn't Pelosi speaking up about this? Uh, I, I think, I think honestly, they're going to... There's a couple of things in the works that we probably just aren't privy to right now, and that might be one of them if she doesn't do it. Uh, I, it seems like, and from what I understand, and this is rumors intelligence only, but... The Democrats are like, we're giving it a week. We're okay. giving it a week. And then fuck this shit. And then we could see Biden suing the GSA for his transition. We could see the House taking steps to to drag her in. Got it. Uh, but right now, I think everyone's just sort of like, give it a week. Just fuck these people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, we could be removing, you know, good people and replacing them with assholes in the FBI, CIA, NSA, right. um, Pentagon. And, and they're destroying evidence like just they're you know he he might as well have replaced these people with shredders like it's just it seems so obvious to me but i could be totally wrong i don't know those are just beans well i like your beans hopefully there's good people still um somewhere in those offices that know what's about to happen and they're making copies or taking pictures you know what i mean <laughs> making copies <laughs> making copies <It's laughs> made the cop <laughs> what's his name what you doing john making copies he's not john but making copies <laughs> The Raymanator or something. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but there are thousands of, of professionals. It's it's going to be impossible to plug all the holes. And, you know, they this is the fucking NSA. You think you can hide shit? It's just, it seems weird. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, we'll be right back with Glenn Kirshner. We're going to discuss the bar memo allowing the Department of Justice to investigate the vote. We're going to talk a little bit about what, what you were just bringing up, Dana, as well. So everybody stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. You ever thought about your cellular health? Not your phone, but like your cells. Like, I haven't thought about that much. Why Why would we? Because cells, they're the foundation of our health. They make us who we are. And one of the important building blocks of our cells is called NAD, which is vital for things like sleeping, breathing, eating, drinking. You know, some of the most important stuff that we do that we don't think about. The bad news is, as we age, our bodies don't make NAD like they used to. So here's the good news. There's a way uh, to boost your NAD levels, and that's True Niagen. True Niagen helps counteract the effects of time on your body by promoting cellular repair. It also helps with healthy aging by supporting cellular function and metabolism to maintain overall health and well-being. True Niagen can also help you increase your cellular energy. It replenishes the decline in NAD due to stressors like lack of sleep or overeating. 
which I've been doing all week. Uh, but this helps you keep up with your active lifestyle. And taking True Niagen also helps with cellular defense in the face of stresses, stresses like alcohol consumption or immune stress, which I have been doing all week. And that's another form of cellular stress. But True Niagen has caught the attention of the scientific community because it's a remarkable ability to boost NAD. And they have over 10 clinical studies to prove it. So give yourselves a boost with True Niagen. Right now, new customers can save $20 on a three-month supply by going to truenyagen.com slash dailybeans. That's T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N dot com slash dailybeans to save $20 on a three-month supply. truenyagen.com slash dailybeans. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, everybody, welcome back. Today, uh, I am going to discuss some stuff going on with Barr and the Department of Justice and the coup and the cover-up or whatever is happening right now with the captain of Team Justice, a 30-year federal prosecutor, and, uh, of course, uh, MSNBC legal analyst, Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, hi. Hi, how are you? Uh, it's been a long decade this week, as they yes, say, yes, uh, but has. I'm... But I'm I'm good. Since Saturday, my mood's been elevated. Um, it's uh, it's just interesting seeing what what's going on right now. And I wanted to talk to you briefly, first of all, about yesterday, the memo uh, that Barr uh, released, basically, you know, steamrolling over a 40-year-old Department of Justice policy, causing uh, the head of election crimes to resign. Uh, can you talk about that for a minute and what this, what the implications of that are? Yeah, I've got the memo in my hand here. Um, and it's infuriating. It's heartbreaking. It's, uh, a slow moving coup or, or at least an attempted overthrow of the, um, will of the American voters. So basically what it is, Bill Barr fashions it post voting election irregularity inquiries and he starts out by acknowledging what we all knew. I was at the Department of Justice for decades, and that is that investigation, investigations should not take place until elections have concluded, the results have been certified, and all recounts are over. And he actually states that, which is the 40-year policy of the Department of Justice. And then he goes on to say, I assume because Donald Trump lost, not this time. We're going we're gonna to give this thing a fresh look and we're going to go ahead and initiate investigations into really anything we darn well please when it comes to potential voting irregularities. Um, he drops in there. It, it's, it's, it's wonderful reading for anybody who knows the Department of Justice because he actually violates the policy in the memo in which he's announcing he's violating policy because he also shares that he himself has already opened investigations, which we are never permitted to announce publicly. So he drops that nugget in there. And then to cap it all off, he says, you know what, usually the 94 U.S. attorneys who head up the 94 U.S. attorneys offices around the country and in you know, Guam and Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, you, you all have unfettered discretion in deciding whether you should open these investigations. And then in the next sentence, he takes it away and he says, it will likely be prudent for y'all to open a whole lot of these investigations. I'm paraphrasing what I have in front of me right now. So mm -hmm. there is so much to despise about this memo. But at its core, he said, I don't care if our policy and our tradition and our protocol for 40 years has been not to interfere in or impact presidential elections. I'm telling y'all to do it this time. And he assures us, if I could go on at greater length here, he assures us that everything's going to be okay because there's a crack unit at the Department of Justice called the Election, Election Crimes Branch, and they're going to oversee all this. And then within hours of this memo dropping, we get a resignation letter from the chief of the Elections Crime Branch crimes branch, who is a gentleman named Richard, uh, 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 what's Richard's last name? I should know this. Pilger? Pilger. Pilger. Richard, Pil Richard Pilger. And Richard Pilger, let me tell you, has been there for decades. He received the John C. Keeney Award 
for exceptional integrity and professionalism. And I can tell you, everyone who has spent more than a cup of coffee working at the Department of Justice knows what the John C. Keeney Award is. I had the honor of working with John C. Keeney's son, Terry Keeney, for decades at the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. And we give that award, the Department of Justice gives that award to the person with like the most impeccable integrity and demonstration for honor and professionalism in the Department of Justice. He said, this is Bill Barr's new policy. I'm out. I am not buying into this corruption. And he resigned on the spot. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. And he he referenced the John C. Keeney Award in his email to his colleagues. He says, as a recipient of this award, I can't in good conscience go forward with this, you know, slogging uh, of the of, of 40 year justice policy, Justice Department policy. Yeah. And he says expressly because the attorney general has just abrogated our 40 year old policy of not interfering in elections. I, I, I'm out. I am out. I'm not going to be part of this corruption. Mm-hmm. You know, how many more how many more career public servants d- does Bill Barr and Donald Trump and Pompeo and company? How, how many do they get to run out of government? I mean, they're damaging our institutions, hopefully not beyond repair. Mm. Yes, hopefully. And apparently, um, I think the Daily Beast has put out an article that uh, Trump and Trump aides are angry about the the memo that Bill Barr put out, but not because it's it's <laughs> awful like we know it to be, but because it apparently wasn't enough, didn't go far enough, as a matter of fact. Yeah, the last paragraph talks about, I don't want you to open investigations based on speculation or unsupported allegations. And that's the part that really angers Trump, because he wants investigations based on speculation and, you know, unsupported allegations, because that's all there is. If you followed all of the court suits that have been filed and literally at a, at a minimum scoffed out of court, if not outright laughed out of court by these judges, when you read the ju- the quotes from these judges around the country, they're priceless. They, they, say, they say things like, how much more ridiculous can your argument get? They say, you're giving me double, you're giving me double hearsay, hearsay within hearsay. And, and it's just, it's absurd. And these lawyers, frankly, in any rational practice of, of a law would be sanctioned, would be suspended. Some of them would potentially be disbarred because they're walking into court with baseless allegations trying to undermine a national election. I mean, we're, we are in a crazy place right now. Now, did Barr, I, I didn't see this in the memo, uh, but I don't know if anything's come out about it. Did he assign anyone specifically, any prosecutors specifically to this, or just all 94? Like, Because we know that he put Durham in charge of investigating the Russia investigation, and he had Bash look into the unmasking investigation, Jensen look into the Flynn stuff. It, did he put anyone in charge of investigating the, you know, this kind of thing, or is it just sort of everyone look out? Yeah, not in the memo, and not that I have seen reported, but he um, he references the election crimes branch. Um, and I think this is something that he put out to all 94 U.S. attorneys saying, y'all better open some investigations, whether there's any there, there or not. So, no, I don't I don't think there's a point person on this particular nefarious uh, mission. Yeah, they might have ran out of people. <laughs> uh, now, Secretary of State Pompeo has come out today and said, There would be, quote, a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. This is just days after the election was projected to be won by Biden and and Harris. And Pompeo made these comments when asked by reporters if the State Department was engaging with Biden and the Biden transition team. And it was kind of followed by a little bit of a laugh, um, like he does. So it's unclear whether that's just an evil laugh or if he was... Uh, you know, an attempt at humor. I'm not sure. But that was quite shocking to me. And uh, it sort of speaks to this, you know, this whole blocking of Biden getting the the briefs and the PDB and and access to the, you know, GSA and, and transition funds. What are they hiding? There seems like to be a cover up here. Yeah. What are they not hiding? And, you know, I, I heard the audio of Pompeo say, you know, it would there, you know, we're going to transition to a second Trump administration. I, I don't know if he intended that as a joke, but if he did, it's not funny. Literally, he is trying to, I, I think, overthrow is the appropriate word, the will of the American voters. So I, I and and I mean, now 
my mind goes to places like if we really had criminal, well, we do have criminal leadership of the federal government trying to overthrow the will of the people in, an, in a free and fair election, does the FBI start arresting them? I mean, I, I, you know, my mind goes to cr not crazy places, but places I thought it would never have to go. You know, when I heard Bill Barr came out of a, a meeting with Mitch McConnell, and then the next thing you know, he's introducing this, this new policy of, you know, interfering in presidential elections. I'm thinking, okay, what are they trying to hide? Could it be that once Biden is in place, they, he instantly discovers so much evidence of the crimes by Donald Trump and company that maybe they need to delay that moment in time, the, the actual transition, until after the Kentucky Senate runoffs. Because mm -hmm. or Georgia, yeah, Georgia, the Georgia Senate runoff. So McConnell doesn't run the risk of losing control of the Senate. I mean, that otherwise it kind of sounds like a crazy movie plot. But could that be why it's either they're attempting to overthrow the will of the voters or they're trying to delay the transition until the last possible moment for any number of nefarious reasons? Yeah. And, and that's sort of where I was at today. And I, I saw some a thread out by Asha Rangappa. I put one out uh, about some stuff we found out about Kash Patel and this, you know, this move to replace the one, two and four people at the Pentagon uh, and the general counsel at the NSA. It seems like the election, like you said, but to me, it feels like the election, you know, cries are a delay to remove people, uh, install sycophants and just start shredding. Yeah. Yeah. But the good news is, listen, there are electronic footprints of almost everything. And my 30 years as a federal prosecutor, certainly the latter part of it, because when I started, you know, we were still using stone tablets to draft our motions on. We didn't have DNA. We <laughs> didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, electronic forensics, but um, you know, in the last 10 or 15 years, the U.S. Secret Service Forensic Services Division and the FBI's electronic forensic uh, unit, they could find almost anything. I don't care how you tried to delete it or scrub it or use, you know, whatever those products are that they say can scrub computers clean. They are great at finding this stuff. So you can shred away, but I have a feeling there are electronic footprints everywhere that will be retrievable by criminal investigators. Yeah, not to mention the thousands and thousands of good career professionals that continue to work in these agencies. It's 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 got to be you've worked in government for a long time. I've worked in government for a long time. It has to be impossible to plug every single hole. And that that's why the resignations of folks like Pilger upset me. Uh, you know, I'm not mad at him, but, you know, are, are sad to me is because, you know, we rely on those career, you know, line career prep professionals that so you know civil servants that 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 aren't political appointees that have no party affiliation that that will know yeah yeah and you know i'm hoping that people like him and like you know the vinmans of the world and the ivanovichs i hope they decide to come back to government to return to government in a biden administration because there's such a wealth of knowledge that you hate to lose those kind of folks just because donald trump was having a bad day and, and wanted them fired Mm -hmm. And Biden has shown that he's willing to hire those folks back because he put Rick Bright, whistleblower, yep. uh, you know, from HHS, NIH. They moved him to NIH. They they put him on the COVID, the COVID team. So yeah, I think there's a willingness to do that. Yeah, Poke, poking the bear a little bit, which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, and then and then finally, uh, just one minute on this too, because just to remind folks, because people are now asking about self pardons mm -hmm. and uh, part, you know, res resignation and a Pence pardon. Mm -hmm. uh, Barr himself testified to Congress that you cannot pardon people for corrupt reasons; it would be against the law. But it's never been tested in court. Can you just talk briefly about what you think should happen if those self pardons or uh, you know Pence pardons? occur. 
Sure. And as you know, the briefly part is always difficult for me. But um, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, even the Office of Legal Counsel, which I don't often credit because they are the ones who put out the horrific memo that says you can't indict a sitting criminal president. I think they're dead wrong in that regard. But in 1974, in the throes of Watergate, they issued a memo saying self-pardons are illegal. Um, so I think that's a good start. I think the judiciary would instantly invalidate a self-pardon if given the opportunity to pass on that legal question. I also believe that pardoning a co-conspirator is just as illegal as a self-pardon because a conspiracy means that every single co-conspirator is criminally responsible, guilty in a very real sense of every crime committed by every other member of the conspiracy, whether they know about it or not. That's the law of conspiracy. So issuing a co-conspirator a pardon um, is just like issuing yourself a pardon because you are both equally guilty of the crime. So what we have to do and what I have been beating the drum about is when Donald Trump issues these corrupt pardons and we all know it's coming before he leaves office. The only question is, does he step down a day shy of the end of his term and have Pence pardon him as well, which will have to be challenged in court because that will be a corrupt pardon in my estimation. We have to challenge these in court. We have to because I'm sick of the whole, there's no precedent. The only way you create precedent is by going to court the first time and taking the maiden legal voyage. That's what we have to do. Agreed. Uh, thank you so much for uh, explaining this out for us. Uh, can you tell listeners where they can find you and your work? Sure. On uh, Well, I'm on Twitter all day and night answering legal questions at Glenn Kirshner, too. I put a video a day up on YouTube. I think we're up to 150 days uh, straight without a break. And that's also Glenn Kirshner, too. And I'm also on Patreon. If somebody wants to go and become a former member of Team Justice, um, you can go to patreon.com and you can support our all-volunteer efforts there. Awesome. Thank you so much, MSNBC legal analyst, former 30-year federal prosecutor and captain of Team Justice, Glenn Kirshner. I appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, great being with you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with Steve Vladek to discuss the Supreme Court hearing about the Affordable Care Act. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's AG. Thanks for supporting The Daily Beans. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by Field of Greens by Brick House Nutrition. Uh, The pandemic has not just tested our economic endurance, but it's also exposed how we have to have like a really good immune system, especially this winter. And that's why I recommend you take the superfood powder Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. And you do it every day because other health products boast about one vegetable or two. Field of Greens has 18 clinically researched essential fruits and vegetables, plus green tea, ginger, turmeric, which is wonderful for my joints, and beets. This powerful combination not only can support heart health, it can support a healthy immune system, which is so important, like I mentioned, metabolism, blood pressure and digestion. Field of Greens is also loaded with antioxidants, pre and probiotics too. You just put one scoop in a glass of water, stir it up and you're done. So do not settle for one vegetable or two vegetables when you can have the entire Field of Greens. Uh, add Field of Greens to your daily routine and see why are their powdered greens have earned over 2,000 five-star reviews. So go to fieldofgreens15.com and get 15% off your first order with promo code BEANS at checkout. That's fieldofgreens15.com, available in two flavors, regular and wild berry. Both are delicious. Again, fieldofgreens15.com and promo code BEANS. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today to discuss the ACA lawsuit is professor at University of Texas School of Law and host of a national security law podcast, Steve Vladek. Steve, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So first, can you remind us a little bit about the premise of this suit? Because it doesn't have to do with the merits of the Affordable Care Act necessarily. It has more to do with a concept called severability. Can you explain that a little bit before we get into what happened today? Yeah, I mean, this is all a little bit of of sort of three-dimensional chess on the part of Republicans who hate Obamacare. So, you know, back in 2017, as part of the Trump tax cut, um, Congress zeroed out the penalty for the individual mandate which it did entirely to give someone a chance to go to court and say, well, now that there's no penalty, it's not a tax. Therefore, the whole thing is unconstitutional. And the reason why severability is part of the story is because um, the ACA is a, a huge statute, right, with hundreds of different provisions, almost all of which everyone agrees are perfectly constitutional. Um, the question is, if one of them's unconstitutional, can you sever that one provision or does the whole statute have to fall? Um, and the the very carefully handpicked district judge in this case um, reached the latter conclusion, said because the individual mandate has been zeroed out, not only is it unconstitutional, but the whole statute must now fall. Um, that's the position that Texas was defending in the Supreme Court today. Texas and also 
uh, by and large, the Trump administration. Indeed. Um, and uh, this is uh, the first time I've, I think I've heard Amy Coney Barrett um, on the bench. Uh, but what do, tell us a little bit about some of the more standout things that happened today. I, I have a few notable th- questions, but I, I was wondering your top line thoughts on, on the arguments today. I, mean, I actually think the most important moments um, involve severability and came from questions from both Justice Kavanaugh and Chief Justice Roberts. You know, I think a lot of folks have um, long assumed that Kavanaugh and the chief would be skeptical about the notion that the whole statute has to fall, and their skepticism came through loud and clear today. Um, so, you know, I think it, it's pretty clear from their comments, at least, that in the absolute worst case scenario, even if there's a majority to strike down the individual mandate, um, they're not going to say the whole statute falls Two, and if we assume that Justices Breyer and Sotomayor and Kagan are with them, then, you know, that means that at least the rest of the ACA is safe. Mm. Yeah, because along with uh, Kavanaugh and uh, what, you know, Chief Justice Roberts said, which seemed like it seemed kind of out of character for him to take such a a forceful stance during an oral argument. But Sotomayor, I think, brought this up, too. And, and I think their, their argument was like, look, if the Senate didn't strike this down, why do you want us to? That's not our job. That's right. And, and I think, I mean, Justice Kavanaugh, in his time on the court, you know, has not often signaled quite so overtly um, where he is in these high profile cases. And I, and I don't think that was an accident. I mean, I think that was, you know, very much uh, uh, quotes that he hoped would be picked up by the media. Um, and the Chief Justice, too. I mean, you know, this is a statute that the chief justice has been instrumental in upholding twice. Um, And I think, you know, he may finally vote to strike down part of it this time. He may not. But, you know, the larger message is that whatever happens to the individual mandate, you know, coverage for pre-existing conditions, the Medicaid expansion, all this other stuff in the ACA that many of us have come to rely upon looks to be in pretty good stead, at least for now. And here's a question, since it's looking like, and I'm not saying that this is the way that they'll rule, but it's it's looking like, at least with the comments from the Chief Justice and Kavanaugh, that uh, they'll decide, uh, you know, worst case scenario, that the rest of the law can stand and, and we do have severability for the mandate. Is it possible in this case to argue to reinstate the mandate, or is that not something that's even being considered? No, I mean, it, 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 it's possible that the court could hold that the mandate is not unconstitutional. It's also possible that the court could hold, I mean, there was a lot of questions about this this morning, that perhaps the plaintiffs in this case, Texas and a couple of individuals, don't even have standing. And so they could avoid reaching any of this. So I don't think it is it is a given that the individual mandate is dead. I just think that, you know, there are plenty of folks who would be perfectly happy if the worst that comes from this um, is the invalidation of a mandate that's no longer a mandate. And so, you know, it's, it's possible we'll get an even better result for the ACA, especially if, for example, the court says there's no standing. Um, I just think the key is that, like, the nuclear option seems off the table. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think that that's exceptionally good news for Americans. And and w- just to go a little bit further on the no standing situation, uh, h- how is that the best possible? Because mechanically, I guess that would kick it down to a lower court decision. Can you talk a little bit about what, what would the result be if, if this court, if the Supreme Court found that they had no standing to bring this case? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't just kick it back to the lower courts. It would actually throw the whole lawsuit out. And so, uh-huh. you know, the, the ACA would basically just be sort of insulated from challenge until someone else came along who could actually show that they were harmed by it. And, you know, one of the points that some of the justices made today is if there really is no mandate, and if the government is not going to enforce the non-mandate, how is anyone harmed? Um, right? That is to say, like, who actually suffers by dint of a statute that, you know, by everyone's concession now has, at least on that point, no teeth? Um, and so, I, you know, that's why I think that might be attractive to the chief justice, um, because it would be a way of just sort of ducking every other aspect of the political headache that this case raises. I think the key there is whether there are going to be, you know, four other votes on standing when there are clearly, you know, four other votes on on severability. And um, before I let you go, uh, if if they do find no standing or they do rule in favor of, I guess, the idea of severability that the the whole act doesn't have to go, uh, how do you, how do you think that Republicans will respond? I mean, it seems like at least a, an argument from the public and the media coming into this was as part of the election that that the Trump administration is trying to got the Affordable Care Act as we speak. 
And a lot of people had presumed that that was part of the reason they went forward forward with the uh, Amy Coney Barrett nomination. And then to not get it, I'm just wondering, like, how you think they'll respond? Will we see future lawsuits? I, you know, I, I suspect that we're not done talking about litigation and the Affordable Care Act. Um, you know, my hope is that we get to a point sometime soon where Congress can actually update and improve the statute. But, you know, I think it's pretty clear that if things just sort of continue to work out the way that they ought to work out with the election, if we end up with a Biden administration, but let's say, you know, Democrats don't sweep the Georgia Senate races and so you have a Republican Senate and you have the administration doing a lot of stuff through executive order, you know, there's going to be a lot more litigation and that's that's going to include on health care. So, you know, I, I think John Roberts is probably sick of seeing the Affordable Care Act in his court, but I'm not sure he's done. Yeah. And I would even assume if we were able to sweep those Georgia races and legislation was passed to shore up the Affordable Care Act, there would still be lawsuits from Republican led states and legislatures and, and governors against uh, trying to strike down certain certain parts of it or the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the great irony of all of this is that it's it's the, you know, um, what what do you call it? Medicare for all or universal health care. You know, the plan that is the most politically problematic is the one that is the least constitutionally objectionable. <laughs> well, I hope you come back and talk to us about it when that when that happens. And then, you know, I would also uh, ask you to to come back when if we see any of these uh, election cases work their way up the courts. Hopefully they won't. They seem pretty thin. Um and they, there's just no evidentiary support for them, which I, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure is required to bring a case. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think, you know, I, I'm still of the view that this is more a political statement than a legal one, but it's pretty alarming that this is where we are nonetheless. <laughs> Agreed, 100%. Thanks for joining us, University of Texas law professor. And uh, tell people uh, about your uh, national security law podcast as well. How often does that come out? Where can they find it? Well, we aim for once a week, but we don't always succeed. Um, maybe every other week, but so it's uh, uh, an NSL podcast uh, on Twitter and nationalsecuritylawpodcast.com. Also, wherever your favorite podcasts can be found. All right, Steve Vladek, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you. Everybody, we'll be right with back with the good news with Dana Goldberg. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG again, and this segment of the podcast is brought to you by Echelon, which provides connected fitness at an affordable price. There is nothing quite like the feeling of finishing a workout, a great workout, uh, or beating a personal record or achieving some fitness goals. And Echelon prides itself on being able to help users get there. I love their service. One Echelon membership lets up to five family members enjoy all the benefits. Their variety of equipment and programs is incredible. Echelon now has connected bikes that give you an immersive studio experience, which I love. They have smart rowers that take you down the best waterways in the world and reflect smart mirrors for personal training at the touch of a button. Those are awesome. And there's just one app to connect them all. Echelon United provides access to all content throughout Echelon's products. They have thousands of on-demand classes available with 30-plus accredited world-class trainers and guest and celebrity instructors, too. So work out with Echelon communities and inspire each other to climb the leaderboards. It's incredible. Echelon's been featured in Women's Health, Cosmo, Time, People, and more. Wall Street Journal says Echelon has cracked the code. Yahoo Finance says Echelon, where fitness and technology unite at a price you can afford. So you should check it out. If you want to turn things around and get in the best shape of your life, go to echelonfit.com today. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. Uh, here we are at another good news segment, and I'm so pleased to be here. Dana, Me too. I, this is my favorite part of the day. It really is. It is. My good news is I got my flu shot. I know that sounds like a strange good news thing to be, but I got my flu shot. I'm taking care of myself, and I'm being part of the solution, people. Part of the solution. <laughs> part of the solution. Excellent. <laughs> good. Yes. I, that reminds me. I need to go get mine like ASAP. Um, we have a lot of good news submissions, confessions, and corrections today on this Veterans Day. Thank you all for the just it's the good news is pouring in since the election was called. I love it. If you have a good news story, if it's personal or political, or you just want to show me pictures of your pod pets, uh, or if you have a correction or a confession, just head to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Uh, I'll kick this off. We've got a note here from Tim. That's it, just Tim. Tim is an enchanter. Hey there. Regarding your call out of those of us with poll worker stories, here's mine. I volunteered in L.A. County from Friday through Tuesday. As you probably know, it's the most populous and diverse county in the nation with all ages, all genders, all languages and all political parties represented. This is the first year the county rolled out touchscreen voting. And it's very well 
And it's very well designed to accommodate that diversity with multiple language options, scalable screen text, a sound-only feature for the deaf, and even a puff or pull air tube option for those with mobility challenges. Nice to see our tax dollars put to good use. If a national standard is ever created for voting, I hope this is the model it follows. That said, it's impossible to accommodate every possible variation. We all knew this going in. A lot of the processes have been carefully gamed out, such as provisional or conditional voting, and the ID verification system is as streamlined as it could be. Still, anytime you work with an ESL voter, you have the potential of misunderstanding. For example, there was a large Armenian population in my area. We had one Armenian speaker in our crew, and she was absolutely the MVP, but she couldn't take everyone, so I got plenty. When we looked up someone's ID, we were instructed to show it to them only after we got confirmation of their birth year. Otherwise, we might be exposing private data on a, on a different voter. We had to verbally ask them what year they were born, and more than a few thought I was asking where they were born. When they answered with where they were born, I had to say, no, what year were you born? Eventually they got it, but they still walked away with the assumption that we were asking for their country of origin, and I had no way to correct it, which felt icky, but unavoidable. I got to work at both ends of the chain, sometimes signing voters in, sometimes accepting their ballots, and at the end, handing out stickers. Registering a new voter was the best. I'd stand, salute, and welcome them to voter world. (laughs) It always got a smile and calmed their nerves. Uh, In all, I processed about 200 voters, and about a quarter of them had never voted before. Only a handful had voted on touchscreen machines in the primary, so I explained how to use them enough times to recite it in my sleep. There were a few voters who seemed shaken by conspiracy theories that they'd heard about signature matching and government spying, so it was nice to see them them relax as they understood the system wasn't working against them. On the other hand, it was always super easy to spot the Fox News voters. MAGA gear, poor communication skills, zero interest in local politics. (laughs) I know this because they felt it was important I know this and that they were vocal about it. Kind of like my daughter when she was in preschool. (laughs) Fortunately, (laughs) these voters were very rare and didn't hang around long. The rest of the experience, despite the long hours and COVID procedures, was 100% positive. I would definitely do it again. Awesome, Tim. Thank you for your service, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, the poll workers. I feel like we're the heroes of this election, for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And everyone who waited in line for 12 hours when, you know, we in California got to just walk down the street, put our ballot in a box. Yeah. The people. The people were the heroes in this election, whether they're counting votes, whether they're, yep. you know, work in the polls, it was the or voting. The people are the heroes. I agree. Well said. Well said, my friend. All right. This next one is a confession. This one is anonymous, but the pronouns are she and her. On Saturday, Biden Harris was declared the winner at 1130 At 2.30, we learned our four-year-old St. Bernard had bone cancer and everything else stopped. Uh, We bargained an extra day with her and the weather is beautiful. She can still walk, but you can almost watch this wretched disease spread to her front legs. Her face is shrunken, her back misshapen, and we take her tonight, uh, gosh, and we take her tonight at 5 p.m. All anger and emotion I feel right now is laser focused on that disgusting Trump just uh, pointy at the GSA. He refuses to acknowledge Biden's victory. I confess I want to pull her hair out in clumps like my dog is losing. <sighs> Luckily, I will take, to, I'll talk to my therapist at noon to sort this all out. After we put our beloved down, we will pick up a nice dinner, sit outside with champagne to toast her, our beloved Abby and the Biden-Harris victory finally. I got all teary, AG. This one got me. Look at this baby. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. So for those of you listening that don't know, I'm a big crier. And you got to hear it for the first time now. I think this is just a build up of shit, but that dog is so cute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about Abby. Man, she's only five. Oh. Uh, she's beautiful. <sighs> well, she'll always be with us, you know? Yes. Okay. Recouping? I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. Let's keep going. Ooh, let's keep okay. going. <clears throat> Next up, we have a submission from Anne. Pronoun she and her. At the end of September, I had to have my sweet cocker spaniel buddy euthanized. Oh my god, you guys. In mid-October, I, I was diagnosed with cancer and had to have surgery. But now for the good news. The cancer was caught early and there was no spread. Part two of the good news. I adopted a three-year-old terrier mix I named Joey. He is cute, <laughs> funny, and lovable. He cannot replace Buddy, but he has helped me heal emotionally and physically. Look at him. Joey also <gasps> got a haircut. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Look at the ears on the... Oh, oh man. <sighs> Thank you for these pop pet pictures. They helped me uh, get a little more smiley. Yes. Okay. 
This next one, um, I believe is a correction. This is Andrew, pronounce he and him. Welcome, DG. I love you as a co-host. Well, thank you, Andrew. Uh, the two of you keep me laughing. This is half correction, half good news. In the Are You Elated episode, it was mentioned that Americans will continue paying for the post-inauguration Secret Service protection for Trump's aptly labeled crotch fruit. Here's the good news. Any child over 16, oh, this is good news. Any child over 16 doesn't receive protection once a president leaves office. Melania and Donald, of course, will continue to receive protection, at least until the cold steel bar slam closes behind them. Maybe Junior and Eric can be their cellmates. Uh, we're mm. about to see a lot of court filings unsealed and court cases begin. I can't think of a better pair to steer us through it than this team. Love my beans team. Mm. Best correction ever. I am so happy to hear that, Andrew, and I am going to text <laughs> my mother immediately <laughs> and let her know. <laughs> that is really, really good news. I didn't know that. Thank you, Andrew. Um, next up, Shelly, forget the Hatch Act. Uh, pronoun she and her. That, that, that's a weird... That's a weird nickname, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm Bill Crash Davis. I'm Shelly. Forget the Hatch Act. Johnson or whatever your last name is. Shelly. Pronouns she and her. I've been a listener since right after the kitchen days. I'm a mail carrier in Northwest Arkansas. Bless you, Shelly. I've been listening to the podcast while I deliver the mail. I've been a patron after hearing the first episode. I was really excited to hear there was another Beans listener in my town. I'd like y'all to know there are a postmaster in our office was great about ballots. He had us calling him so he could come pick up outgoing ballots if we picked them up. He was hand-delivering them to the courthouse. Nashir's been hard on mail carriers. Republicans are mad at us because somehow we caused Trump to lose by delivering ballots. <laughs> Please Jesus. be nice to your carrier. Thanks, ladies, for everything you're doing. It's become one of the best parts of my day. This is Puddin. We call her Poo-Poo. Oh. She's an old English bulldog, and she thinks she's a lap dog at 65 pounds. Look. At the face. Look at the underbite in the tongue. Oh, oh my gosh. So uh, Shelly, uh, you know, you, you'd be so happy, Shelly, in our neighborhood. I live in a very, very, like, hipstery part of town. Everyone's got Biden, Harris, our, you know, RBG signs. Um, man, woman, camera, vote Biden. Uh, you know, whatever. That like all of our signs are so cool. There's a lot of Black Lives Matter flags and signs in our neighborhood, and we actually have a lot of houses that say say thank you to a postal worker. That's awesome. And thanking our mail carriers. So people are really supportive of you here. And you did. A, uh, I love how like the Republicans blamed us for delivering votes. Oh my god! But they gave me a great idea. I think I'm going to go to get a little gift card, even if it's just like a you know a Visa gift card, and leave it with a note in my post office for my postal service person. I'm going to do that too. And I, I don't usually. I live in an apartment complex, like a little building, so not a complex. There's, there's only eight units. That was aggressive. Um, I live in an apartment that building. That was aggressive. <laughs> but I feel like uh, that would be such a nice thing to do for the postal worker. Now I feel inspired. Thank you for that. I'm going to do that too. Yeah, everybody. Get a little gift card for your for your mail carrier. Yes. All right. This is from Jamie. Pronouns he and him. I'm a longtime listener. I didn't quite join during the kitchen days, but I was early enough that I was able to go back and listen to the entire back catalog. Small but incredibly mm. important correction. In the good news block from the Four Seasons Total Landscaping episode, DG was reading about a measure that passed 69% to 31%. You responded with a celebratory, woo! But as a millennial, I feel I should let you know that the preferred exclamation for any number 69 is nice. <laughs> joking aside, joking aside, that was a great correction. Joking aside, thanks for providing insight and thoughtful commentary during our darkest times. Without your show, I don't think I could have cope with the daily onslaught of bad and shocking news we've already been subjected to. You're an inspiration with a big old heart. <laughs> This, that is a fun that is a fun correction. I'm going to I'm going to take a little defense here. I generally don't notice the number 69 when it comes up in conversations. First of all, because 69 is stupid. It's like having to work while you're on vacation. It's dumb. <laughs> so I, I don't understand why people participate in that. Um, second of all, for millennials, if it's nice, got it. For Gen Xers, though, when we run across the number 69, it's from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. 69, dudes. That's that's our general response. But I like nice. It's sort of nice. more subtle. Yeah. You know, it's a little more subsumed. Thank you, Jamie. 
Uh, finally, from Jordan, pronoun she and her. It looks like the Supreme Court will be voting to uphold the ACA thanks to Justice Roberts and, surprisingly, Brett Kavanaugh. My first thought is that maybe PJ or Squee lost their jobs during the <laughs> pandemic and are now reliant on the ACA. <laughs> or maybe Donkey Dong Doug has a pre-existing condition and Brett needs to take care of his weightlifting buddies. <laughs> No matter what, I'm hugely relieved that millions won't be without health care oh coverage, God, Jordan. Jordan, I just had to pull myself away from the microphone because I was afraid I was going to blow it out. That is so fucking funny. <laughs> PJ or Squee lost their jobs during the pandemic and now are reliant on the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> Good. There should be a sitcom called PJ and Squee. Oh my. And, you know, it's just. <clears throat> that is so. Let's do that. Let's funny. write it. Let's write it and pitch it to Netflix. Oh. I'd watch the shit out of that. Thank you for the laugh after the tears. That was a good news segment for me. My goodness. <sighs> yes. Thank you. And everyone, thanks for sending in your, your, your good news stories and your confessions. And uh, we love them. Keep them coming. We're going to need them over the next 72 days. Uh, so please. You know, head head to dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. That's where you can send them. And of course, send pics of your pod pets. I appreciate it. And uh, any any final thoughts, Dana? No, I just, you know, hang tight, people. And I have to do this as well. Take a break sometimes from the social media because when you're not looking at the Twitter and you're not looking at Facebook, the Twitter, I'm now my 76-year-old mother. When you're not looking at the Twitter. <laughs> when you're not watching the MTV. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but when you're not reading that, your blood pressure goes down tremendously. We have to do it for work, you don't have to do it for work. So, you know, take a break, listen to the podcast to catch up sometimes and just give yourself a break. Yeah, 100%. We'll carry the baton for you, everybody. Until tomorrow, take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the Bean. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>